0: There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in the crowd. Hi, folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. The times get tougher, even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 585 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Wednesday. It is January 12th, 2011. And today we're going to do our second in a four part series on herbal actions. The actual therapeutic actions that the herbs have. Things like hypotensive. We're going to learn about that today. What is that? You know, hepatic. What does that mean? What does it do? Why should you care? Uh, interesting things like that we will give you corresponding herbs that go along with them but today's show really isn't about go use this herb for this malady it's about enabling yourself to learn more about herbs and the treatments that they offer for us and the healing that they offer for us so that we can use them as a preventative in good times and a last resort in bad times it's important to our survival as a species more on that in a minute Uh, Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one uh, today is ShelfReliance.com. Notice I said shelf, not self. Shelf Reliance, like a thing you put stuff on. Why are they called Shelf Reliance? Because they help you be self-reliant, but one of the ways that they do that is by providing some of the most innovative food storage shelving I've ever seen. Shelving that lets you eat what you store and store what you eat with solutions for every size household, every size storage, uh, uh, program, and, and every budget out there. So they have small storage systems that go into your pantry or to your cupboard called the pantry and the cupboard. And then they have great big giant system that can literally hold Hundreds and hundreds of pounds of canned food. Every time you pull one out, the next one drops down and it keeps rotating through. When you buy replacements at the store, you put them in the top. That way you're always eating what you store, always storing what you're eating, and you're very conveniently eating the oldest stuff first so that you keep a natural rotation going. They also have an extensive selection of long-term storage foods under the Thrive brand, Thrive Long-Term Storage Foods, and they have a great... Uh, Great selection of stuff there. Uh, They just sent me some freeze-dried fruit I'm going to have to do a video on real soon uh, for you guys and let you know about that because it's a great product. Remember, if you're a member support brigade member and you support the show, uh, financially you get a discount from Shelf Reliance. 10% off all shelving, 5% off all foods. Information's in your member support brigade. Um, Next up today is the Berkey guy. You know, I love the Berkey guy because I love being alive. And critical to my survival and yours is what? Fresh, clean, pure, drinkable water. And I personally don't think the water that comes out of my sink is clean, pure, or drinkable anymore. With what we've learned is in that water, from chromium to radioactivity, there's uh, sure things that are in there in the government so I don't know how that got in there, That's a, that's that's bad, we admit it, we're trying to figure it out and get it out of there. The things they put in there, like chlorine, which is... I believe a necessary evil in our modern world to have safe drinking water for the masses. Chlorine's kind of necessary, but we need to take it out ourselves. We're going to be tied into that grid. Uh, we got to get the chlorine out of there. It's a toxin. It's a poison. It's a poison with a purpose, but it's a poison. Then we move on to something like fluoride. There is no good reason for fluoride in our water. It is a poison, it is a toxin, and even your government has come out and said, uh, you know, uh, maybe we're putting too much of it in there, when we should reduce the level to uh, seven-tenths of a part per million. Um, you know, folks, I don't want it in there, I get it out. When we move from here, I won't have it in there anymore. But until then, I'm going to get the floor out of my water. So for day-to-day use, Berkey's great. But if we go to a long-term down decline, and we can't get that fresh, pure, clean water, from the system we've depended on in the past, then we're actually not talking about just health, but life and death. Berkey can help you with either side of that equation, and I think they're the most economical, long-term economical systems out there. Check out the Berkey guy at directive21.com. And remember, MSB, whenever you order anything from the Berkey guy, even just replacement filters, phone your order in, give him the code in the MSB, you get some free Berkey sport water bottles. That's pretty cool as well. Uh last but not least today I do want to remind you about the Member Support Brigade. Uh join the Member Support Brigade, you get all those discounts, you get a bunch of free ebooks and uh you support the show at about $50 a year, which is about 20 cents an episode and uh this definitely a great program that pays itself back in droves. Uh real quick announcement. Uh, I've got a couple emails recently. High mowing organic seeds and seeds have changed. The discount codes for you guys in the MSB have expired. I am aware of it. I am working on getting them renewed. Uh, they have to the end of the week to decide whether they're going to renew them or not. If they don't, I will go get another provider uh, to do Uh, a discount for you of heirloom, high-quality seats. I expect both of them will. I'm just letting you know that I am staying on top of that. I will always keep MSB uh, a top-notch program for everybody that supports the show. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. And I want to talk to you about the why behind it before I actually do the content. I want you to really understand what I'm trying to accomplish here. It's really two things. It's really two things. One is I want to start... Focusing the minds of America back to what a doctor is really supposed to be. We see the doctor today as the answer, man. My finger hurts, fix it. My toe hurts, fix it. I broke my leg, fix it. And somewhere in there is a rational concept. If I break my leg, I'm going to go to the doctor and say, Hey, doc, fix my leg. If I skid my knee or stub my toe or, or, you know, you know hurt my hand and nothing's fractured, I may look at, you know, what can I do for this injury on my own? When it comes to my general, everyday, long-term health, that's not who I want to rely on at all, though, is the modern doctor. The modern doctor who sees the pill as a solution for everything. Let me give you some little kernel of knowledge here that will really drive home how divorced modern medicine is from the person they call the father of medicine, Hippocrates. Hippocrates had a saying that was "Patient, heal thyself," and the doctor was seen as the teacher that would help the, the the patient learn to heal themselves through a variety of means. We'll talk more about that in a second. Modern medicine, however, you know, again, a pill or a scalpel is a solution. Ninety-nine percent of the time, the pill or the scalpel is a solution. The medical establishments get some blame. Pharmaceutical companies get some blame. But we as Americans get some blame too because we like easy solutions. My blood pressure's high. Don't talk to me about the fact that I eat donuts every day. Give me a pill for that. I have a headache. Don't talk to me about de-stressing from my job. Give me a pill for that. I feel sad. Give me a pill. My kid's hyper. Give him a pill. You know? My employee is sluggish. Give him a pill. And that's... That Solution reaction mentality is where we're at today. And then, this is almost, this is almost disturbing to me. Physicians today live their lives revolving in some ways around the medical journals. Right? The journals, the Journal of American Medicine, JAMA. One of the most prestigious is called The Lancet. The Lancet. You've probably heard of that. If you haven't looked it up. Very prestigious medical journal. What is a lancet? Well, back in the days of our founders, you know, the Thomas Jeffersons, the George Washingtons, the guys like that supposedly keeled over when they were 40, but these guys lived to an average age in their, in their low 70s. When you got sick, the doctor would come over with a bowl and a knife. He would cut you in various locations and let the bad blood out. That was modern medicine at the turn of the 1800s, 17 to 1800s. The knife that he used was called a lancet. It was a single solution for all your problems, like a pill or a scalpel. And that's what modern medicine was. And I believe that modern medicine today is more connected to the lancet than Hippocrates. They're more connected to cut to solve than do no harm. They are more connected to... Use a chemical to poison, then patient heal thyself. And we're not going to change modern medicine overnight. So just like with politics, where the politicians on either party are screwing our country, we have to say, I'll start it myself, we start it ourselves. And we go back to the father of real medicine, patient heal thyself. And if you are to heal yourself as a patient, you have to see the doctor is what the term actually means. Do you know what doctor means? And it's root, teacher. The doctor was a person you went to, and he would teach you how to be healthy. And if you were unhealthy, he would teach you how to get healthy. He would teach you to heal yourself. Since there's not a lot of doctors out there doing that now, we have to do it for ourselves. And this is why, instead of just... Doing, and I'll do shows where I'll go into more different herbal remedies and how to put them together and tinctures and stuff like that. I've done it before, I'll do it again and it's great. But I decided to kind of reset on the herbals before I went forward on them. And let's learn about the actions. Let's learn about antidepressant. Let's learn about stimulant. Let's wor- wor- learn about hepatic. What do these words mean? Let's learn a- about bitter. You know, bitter is a therapeutic action not just a taste, not just a flavor. Let's learn about refrigerant or sedative or stimulant. What are these things? Because if we learn these things, it's like before you start reading the map, you look at the legend on the map. And when we look at that legend on that map, we realize that this line means road and this line means trail. This line means like a small street. This line means a highway. This is a boundary line. This is a river. This is a lake. And more importantly, we see the scale. One inch equals a hundred miles is very different than one inch, inch equals ten miles on a map. If we don't understand that legend and that scale, the map can be almost useless to us. And then the other piece of information that we absolutely must have, whether we have it directly or we gather it indirectly is where are we on the map? So think about that. We need to understand the map symbols in its scale, and our current location for the map to be useful. Well, if we're going to understand herbal medications and herbal medicines as a pathway to health, we have to understand the symbols and the scales of herbals. And that means how powerful they are and what they do and what their actions actually mean. So that's why I'm taking a more academic approach to this. And it's also so when you pick up that herbal manual and it says, you know, actions of the herb are hypotensive, bitter, and anti-inflammatory, well, you know what that means. Bigger, though. I want you to start then saying, well, if this herb is an anti-inflammatory and it's recommended for this condition, is that condition due to inflammation? Or is there some other action that herb has? that that makes it good for this condition. But then I want you to say, okay, well, it is inflammation. And because this is an anti-inflammatory herb, it is a good remedy for this condition. But now, if we're to be logical and think critically, we must say, why is there inflammation? Is the inflammation positive or negative? Do you know why when you sprain your ankle and it's inflamed? Part of it is to immobilize it so you'll stay the hell off of it, and some of the pain and inflammation is therapeutic. But is it excessive? Is it chronic? Why is it chronic? What's the underlying reason? Are you sad or are you depressed? If it's an antidepressant, fine. Does it heal depression or does it make you feel better when you're sad? Sometimes sad is healing. Sometimes we need to be sad. Sometimes we don't have time to be sad. And we need to wake, you know, awaken ourselves from it. So now, as we go through these herbal actions, understand, think deeper and more critically, and gain as much as you can from the knowledge I'm going to attempt to impart to you today with this with this podcast. Also understand, I have to give a disclaimer, I am not a medical doctor, I am not a master herbalist, none of my information is designed to treat, prevent, or cure illness. Anything that you do, you should consult with a professional before you do it, even though most of the herbs I'm going to give you are very safe, and you're probably eating them all the time anyway if you're cooking with stuff from your backyard. If you're a pregnant or lactating woman, there are additional risks. If you're immunocompromised, there's additional risks. If you have any doubts, consult with a professional. I also recommend that you check out some books that I'm going to recommend for you, one on herbal interactions with drugs and supplements. I recommended that last time. It's in today's show notes again. And next, a lot of you guys asked me, hey Jack, can you give us some good books on herbal medicines? So we can actually look up the individual herbs, like a good catalog style book. One is the Herbal Medicine Makers Handbook. There is a link in today's show notes to that. I love that book because it focuses on uh, specifically 30 specific herbs and how to use those for the widest effect. It also has the 40 actions in it that I'm talking about in today's podcast. The other one uh, that I recommend is written by Dr. Kyle Christensen, who is the the owner of Western Botanicals. That book is called Herbal F- First Aid in Healthcare. It will also be in today's show notes, and I think that one belongs in your first aid kits. And if you have like Large, two large first aid kits in vehicles that might be in two different places at the same time. I'll go so far as to say you probably need two copies of that book and one in each. It was written and designed to be part of a first aid kit. Uh, and it has a lot of very specific herbs and their actions and what they can be used for. So always consult with reference materials and a professional disclaimer done. Let's start going into some of these actions and start thinking deeper than just what I call replacement therapy. Because that's the other thing I don't want people practicing It's solely anyway. Replacement therapy is, you know what, Um, the doctor says I have high blood pressure and garlic and oats have been shown to reduce blood pressure, so instead of taking the dangerous pharmaceutical, I'll go with garlic and oats. Not that that might not be a good decision depending on your individual condition, how severe the high blood pressure is, what have you, or I have a headache and instead of an aspirin I'm going to take white willow bark. These place, these things have a, an acute response purpose, but if that's as deep as we go, we might as well be taking the pharmaceuticals in many ways. Maybe the, the herb is, is more gentle, but it probably is going to have a lower therapeutic effect. When Hippocrates said, patient, heal thyself, what he understood was, if you have an illness, there's something underlying causing it. We can't just treat the symptom. We have to go deeper, treat the cause. Think about that as we go through these actions and what are the next questions you would ask of yourself if you're needing these, these actions and, and where would it lead you? That will make you able to heal yourself. Okay, the first one is antidepressant. And, of course, that's an easy one to know. Why do we even talk about it? Because we got to understand it. we got to go through all 40 of them. Well, it helps relieve or prevent a depressed state of mind. But, but I'm going to ask you something about being depressed. Is the person or are you sad, or are you depressed? Those are two very different things. When my dog, Lakota, died uh, about a year ago, a year and a half ago now, I had to take him in, and he was on his last legs, and he was so bad with kidney and liver failure that his fur was growing out yellow instead of white. Um, he couldn't stand, and it was time for him to go, and I had to put my arms around him and let the doctor put a needle in him and, and watch my friend of, of, of 14 years put to death by my decision even though it was the right decision for that animal at that time I was very sad I won't try to pretend I was a he-man I walked out of the office with tears in my eyes I was sad I wouldn't say that I was depressed and I had to be sad to heal and if I tried to pretend I wasn't sad and just go drink a beer or take a walk in a field of lavender or on the beach or pop a bunch of antidepressant pills or anything like that I would have not gotten the healing from the sorrow. And I wouldn't have been able to effectively go on. And I think many times depression is caused by too many um, repressions of sadness. So if we're sad, it's okay When my son lost his birth father, he was sad. We took him to a psychologist so that he could talk about it, and of course the first thing the guy wanted to do, or psychiatrist, the first thing the guy wanted to do was put him on medication. He wouldn't listen to us. He decided in 15 minutes that he was depressed. So we left, and we never talked to that pile of crap, and I will call him that again. And we got him into an actual counselor, and he had a few sessions, and with a few sessions of clearing things out, he was ready to go on with his life. And the guy said to his credit, rather than continue to take our money, doesn't need to come see me anymore, he's good to go. He had to have that sadness. We sheltered that sadness, that leads to depression. So we have to look at that that way. And we can do some uplifting things to help with the healing, but do we want to suppress sadness... Or do we actually want to heal depression? We need to start asking that question. And our medical professionals need to ask that question. Until they do, here's some very common herbs that have been shown to have a remarkable effect on depression. One that everybody knows, St. John's wort. It's a little yellow flower. It's available in capsules at every drugstore in America, and it's something you definitely can stock up on and generally, especially unopened and in a good, un- unlighted conditions, very long storage life, so that it can be part of your preps, even if you want it to be, because, hey, we might deal with some depression in a long-term shit at the fan, right? So even beyond what we can grow for ourselves, uh, very pharmaceutical-grade St. John's Wort has been proven to be as effective as some very dangerous antidepressants. Again, you have to consult with your doctor. If you're on an antidepressant, don't go throw it in the garbage. Go off and cold turkey and start popping St. John's word. If you want to get off a maintenance antidepressant, you need to see your doctor and you need to come off it in a controlled manner, in an evaluated manner. Because it once, even if you didn't need to go on it, once you're on it, it's dangerous to just come off it. Again, always think safety first. But if we're not ever on it, we've never been on it, there's no reason we can't try this first, it just might work. And that is more of a pharmacological effect, St. John's Wort. It has the the same type of effect that some of these antidepressant medications have, and it's a good mood enhancer in general for long-term therapeutic use. But you know what else has been shown to do the same thing? And maybe it's why the Portuguese are always happy? Saffron. What does Portuguese and saffron have to do? Well, they're big on paella, folks. Paella is a rice dish with all kinds of meat and seafood thrown on top of it, but the rice is seasoned with saffron. These are the the, the inner parts of of a particular flour. It's one of the most expensive spices or seasonings or herbs, whatever you want to call it, in the world. But it's very mood-enhancing and mood-lifting. Also very safe, you know. Millions of Portuguese can't be wrong. They eat the paella, they don't get side effects in, they don't die, and they are a pretty happy lot of folks. What about basil, though? Did you know basil is an antidepressant? And if you think about it, the next time your mood is poor, especially if you have access to fresh basil, you don't quite get the same uh, uh, aromatic oil effect, go out to a, a plot in your yard where you're growing basil, grab a few basil leaves, and rub your hands together till it heats it up and begins to release not just the scents but the oils. Cup your hands around your nose and inhale, and I bet you you feel better. Now, how long will that last? I don't know, but I do know this. It's not addictive, and even if it is, it isn't going to hurt you. It's not dangerous, and taking internally can have some of the same effect, but to me, that aromatic effect, you can do the same thing with lavender. And Hippocrates would have told you, if you're depressed, go somewhere beautiful. All of these things have to work together, but there's an antidepressant. So now, when you see St. John's Wort sitting on the shelf, or you see the flower growing, or you see yellow rice made with saffron, or you see basil, think antidepressant. Basil does other things too, right? Some things we talked about last week. Start to make these connections. Start to enable yourself to heal yourself. Because another thing I want to talk about today, there's there's two sides to these these uses. One is the use that everybody got before we switch to modern medicine and one-stop solutions for everything. Before the days of that, and before the days of processed foods, herbs and spices and things like that were thrown into everything. People like these extremely varied diets. They were constantly, with no knowledge, medicating themselves from a preventional standpoint. And if you another thing to understand about that is if you look at the reasoning behind we've left all of these herbs out, why? Well, we salt and sugar everything to death, and we fat everything to death. Well, when people couldn't just salt, sugar, and fat everything to death, they had to put flavor into things, and they turned to oregano and basil and lavender and all the other herbs, turmeric, cumin, pepper. So this was so much more a part of the diet in the days before Modern, processed solutions for both food and medicine. The other side is, in my opinion, people were healthier. I talked about this myth yesterday with Patriot Nurse. I talked about it in the past. I always get resistance to it. What I've told you is people do not live any longer today than they've lived at any time in history in a meaningful way. Take away the life support and things like that. Um, and And if we take out certain things like the effects of sanitation... Being warm, not being too cold, Uh, being able to to drink clean water, even if there's there's chlorine and and fluoride in it, it's a hell of a lot better than drinking water with with diseases and bacteria and viruses in it. And being able to eat, even if the food's not good, being able to calorically make up the minimum amount of calories. Very few people in America are starving today calorically, but we're starving nutritionally. So as we look at herbs with that context, we have to realize that there's two places for them as we're going through these lessons. One is the prevention for when times are good. The healthier we can be, the more stable we can be, the more of these things we can make a natural part of our diet without going, I'm taking this because of this. I just understand that all of these things have therapeutic effects and I'm going to cook with them. I'm going to make my salads with them. I'm going to walk through my garden and smell them the healthier we are if we go into a really bad time, that if we do go into a really bad time, instead of the first response, they become a last resort. When people are really sick and we can't get medical care and we've run out of the supplies that we've stored up, we need the knowledge, and that knowledge can save lives and certainly enhance quality of life. So that's part of what I'm doing here. Uh, Next one, anti-inflammatory. That's another one that people go, okay, I understand what that is. It, you know combats excessive or overly painful inflammation one thing with anti-inflammatories I really want to drive home though again that not all inflammation is bad when you sprain something that inflammation is designed to immobilize you so that your body can take the time to heal when you're inflamed you also notice that inflammations often have a red coloring and they feel warm why? because blood is rushing to that area well, that blood flow is also quite healing. So it's not like we want to remove every tiny bit of inflammation. Another way to look at it, you hurt your back, and it's you've got inflamed tissue in your back. It's a moderate ache, you could tolerate, and it keeps you in your chair when you go to slouch a certain way, and when you, go, when you look at a box and it's heavy, and you, you want to pick it up, you go, I'm not going to pick that up, I'm going to get somebody else to do it today. And you deal with that for a couple days, the inflammation goes away, and you're healed. Now, instead, you go pop four Advils instead of the two the bottle says. And immediately, or almost immediately, you come to relief. Your back doesn't hurt. The inflammation goes down. But the injury's still there. Now, you'll slouch the a certain way in the chair. You'll pick the box up instead of get somebody else to do it while you're healing. And when the pain comes back, it's worse. Why? You've made the injury worse. Why'd you make the injury worse? Because you you removed the therapeutic inflammation. On the other side, inflammation can actually cause aging. Most people are walking around with chronic inflammation throughout their body. um, Arthritis is basically caused by inflammation. And and then it begats greater inflammation. But it's really inflammation at the cellular level that is the cause of arthritis. Nobody's going to get mad at me about that, but do your own research. Okay. so we do want an anti-inflammatory effect in our body, maybe a little bit all the time. But we don't want to go with excessive anti-inflammatories, which have, you know, especially like the, the non-steroidal anti- anti-inflammatories like the, the, uh, the, the, you know, Advil and the Motrin's of the world, the ibuprofen, um, have been shown to cause kidney, stomach, liver damage. Where, you know, what are some herbs that we can do this with? How about chamomile, calendula, and rose? They don't damage the liver or the kidneys. Now, if I make you a tea of chamomile calendula in rose on any given day, it'll probably make you feel pretty good before you go to bed to drink that. It'll probably relax you and it'll probably reduce your inflammation systematically quite a bit. If you have a really wrenching back pain where you can't even sleep, it's probably something to take aspirin or Tylenol or Motrin for. And if that's not enough then even go to something a little bit stronger maybe a prescription med. But if it's a minor ache and it's it's uh, it's still a little more than I want the therapeutic effect for like I just not going to let you know maybe it's just before I go to sleep then some of these very gentle anti-inflammatories may aid you in reducing it sufficiently so at least you could sleep well. But if we're Consuming things like chamomile and calendula and rose and other anti-inflammatory herbs. And folks, the list for anti-inflammatory is arm length long. It's amazing how many things are natural anti-inflammatories. But they're not in our diets anymore because our diets are made up of fat and corn sugar and hormones and synthetic chemicals and GMO crops. But if we put these things back into our diet... We have actually what I believe personally to be an anti-aging effect by not having the body in a constant state of inflammation. And there's a lot of uh, natural practitioners that would back that statement up. But again, chamomile, calendula, and rose. How many times have you walked out in your your garden and maybe seen a beautiful rose and maybe some some delicious rose hips growing off the side of it, smelled the rose, looked at it, thought that's beautiful, and also thought, hey, you know what, that's an anti-inflammatory. Well, it is calendula, one of the most common flowers out there. So many medical uh, benefits that that flower has. And it's a potter. We can eat it. Calendula is good in salads. It's good in stir fries. It's a great food. It's a great drawing agent for an infection, but it's also an anti-inflammatory. And so, and, and, and so is chamomile. Chamomile is a great sedative. It's a great relaxer. But part of that is because it's also an anti-inflammatory. So that pretty German chamomile, that beautiful rose, that bright orange calendula, they're all anti-inflammatories. But again, why is the inflammation there? And are we using the herb to allow, to clear a pathway so the body and the patient can heal themselves? Or are we trying to treat a chronic condition with a single bullet solution? If there's a reason for the inflammation, we have to correct the reason, and the herb simply helps us with that process. Try to remember that. Okay, next one, bitter. Now I probably don't have to tell anybody what bitter means. We all know bitter when we taste it. And that's what we think of as bitter is like sweet. It's a flavor. There's a certain part of our tongue that's more sensitive to bitter. We probably learned that, you know, in school in like fifth grade. We showed you a diagram of the tongue. Salty, sweet, bitter, right? But did you know bitter actually is a herbal action? It's actually a medicinal action. When you eat something bitter, like a bitter herb, it actually stimulates the secretion of your digestive fluids, and that aids in digestion. And it also will tend to stimulate liver activity. And uh, that just does wonderful things all around, because your liver, of course, is your defense against toxins. That is... Uh, without your liver, I mean, you literally poison yourself to death. So stimulating liver activity is uh, is is vital uh, to health. And then then there's something really interesting about bitter herbs. Practitioners have known for a long time that many bitter herbs also help to relieve depression. Nobody seems to even really, as far as I know, maybe there's some new research, but from what I know, really understand exactly why. I would tell you this, though. This would be my pure hypothesis. If I can make your digestive system work better, I'm going to improve your nutrient absorption and things like potassium and manganese and magnesium and zinc, selenium, and all these trace elements and minerals that we're largely deficient in today, that which you are getting in your diet, limited though it may be, will be better absorbed by the body because your digestion is better. If I improve the functioning of your liver activity, I'm going to improve the ability of your body to remove toxins from itself, especially if that if, any way, I improve the functioning of the kidneys, which are, which are doing this, a similar function, and I get more of the toxins out and I get more of the nutrients in, I bet you the depressed person's going to feel less freaking depressed. Because if, if, if I have an imbalanced body that's not getting the nutrients it's needing and it's overlaid with the toxins that it has, well, I'm probably going to feel bad. And if I feel bad all the time, I'm going to be depressed. Have you ever had a cold or a flu or even like a little throat and head cold like I do right now that just doesn't want to go away? Well, when it's like a cold or flu where it causes your body to ache from fever and sweat and nausea and you can't really enjoy your food, nothing tastes good. When it's that level, don't you start to feel like, oh my God, will this end? Well, imagine feeling a little bit of that, 20% of that every day of your life. How long would it be before you start to feel depressed? So that's my theory as to why bitter herbs can help cure depression. Just a theory. Can't prove it. Maybe somebody else somewhere did, but I think it makes sense. So if we want to stimulate that digestion, if we want that liver to churn a little bit more and and, and stimulate the liver activity, and if we want to help fight off depression by improving our overall health with bitter herbs, which bitter herbs will do that for us? Oh, really rare exotic herbs that are almost impossible to find, like dandelion. You ever pick up a leaf of a dandelion, chew it up, and eat it? It's pretty bitter. But what if we had a person who was having digestive issues, didn't feel quite right, a little bit of depression going on, and we just said, you know what, since it ain't going to hurt anything, and since there's millions of them out there, every day before you eat your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, chew up, eat, and swallow two dandelion leaves and stimulate the digestion and see what happens. Pretty freaking safe therapy, isn't it? And if it works, what a great thing. Will it work for everybody? No, but it will work for some people. Another one is mugwort, and one that's really bitter is rue. But again, these are generally safe things, often included in foods. Now, I believe for therapeutic effects, something like a dandelion, if we chop those leaves up into our salad, we'll get some of the therapeutic effect. But if we actually allow ourselves to experience... The bitterness, and that's why bitter is its own action. Because we also talked about dandelion as a general digestive stimulant last week. But this week we're talking about a different way that it enhances the same functionality through the actual taste of bitterness, the secretions in the saliva, the, the psychological response, and the way the psychological response drives the physical response of the body and says to the stomach, Be prepared. Food is coming. Bitter says that to the stomach. Food is coming. Digest it well. So again, when you see dandelion, mugwort, or rue. Think bitter and understand that it can help us with our, our liver activity, our digestive activity, and even possibly improve de- depression. And there's so many other things that dandelion does. Dandelion is one of the wonder plants. No matter what number, if you get down to anything but one, five herbs are all you can have, Jack, for medicine me- medicinal use. Ten, twelve, 3 dandelion is going to be on the list. The only way I'm going to take dandelion off the list, if you're only going to give me one, because then I'm going to choose garlic. Dandelion does so many things, but it also has that use. Mugwort, you know, it's not something we use every day, but it's really easy to grow. And rue. Rue has a lot of uses. Rue is basically a little evergreen shrub. It can grow quite large, actually. It can damn near go on forever. But do you know what? If you have a chicken run... And you plant a rue plant, and you throw maybe a a tire around the roots to keep the chickens from digging it up when it's little. Put some chicken wire around it so they can only peck at it until it gets big and giant and established. And then you can remove that stuff and let the chickens underneath it have at it. It actually has been shown to help repel mites and, 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 and ticks and things like that from your chickens. So, again, all of these things have so many functions. And this is part of how people were constantly using them for preventive medication in the past and how we've lost that because when you kept chickens, you had roux. I mean, it really is that simple. In fact, roux was used for so many things before we could just go to a doctor and get a pill. It was used to stimulate digestion, as we're talking about here it was used to uh deal with with sores and cuts it was used to purge people of worms so it was a naturally consumed thing and a naturally topically used thing for, for so many reasons so that a lot of the things maybe when they were using it for one thing they were getting the side effect of another um so again rue is not something we're going to put in a you know we talk about cooking with rue and that's not what they mean when they talk about rue that way it's a gravy um but with rue, the herb, we're not going to be putting that in our spice jars, but it's a very valuable, easy-to-grow herb. You know, mugwort isn't something we use a lot today. It's also known as wormwood, um, but it was used as a bittering agent for meats and for other things that maybe you wanted to counterbalance sweetness, small amounts of it. So these things were things that people were just naturally being exposed to at all times at one time, and again, our sanitized, sterilized word has taken it away. Next one, hypotensive hypotensive action means that it reduces elevated blood pressure, something a lot of us need in America today apparently because it's one of the leading chronic conditions that we're treating is high blood pressure well what about some herbs that can help with that garlic, lavender and lemon balm Uh, these are things that are probably growing in in the backyards of just about every person with an herb or maybe a vegetable and herb garden Certainly, garlic. I mean, garlic is uh, is is again one of the most uh, amazing cure-alls out there. And at one time, it was be it was used in almost everything people ate, and it was used a lot of times raw, or rubbed into meats and things like that. And when you if you think about this, you rub garlic into a meat, even if you're cooking it, the oils are on your hands now. There's a topical effect. There's an aromatic effect. It, 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 we, these are things we've lost touch with. How about lavender? Just a field of lavender. It, it does so many things. It, 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 it's, it's an antidepressant, but it's also a blood, it lowers blood pressure. Lavender tea can help with blood pressure being elevated. Lemon balm, same thing. But again, with blood pressure, we really have to ask why is the blood pressure high? Is it dietary? Is it stress? You know, I can take you. Take your blood pressure, and you can test at a very reasonable level. Uh, any doctor would look at it, and person's healthy. If you get angry and mad and stressed, and I take your blood pressure in the middle of that, it'll it'll show elevated for most people. Maybe even to what would be considered a dangerous level. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's at a response time where you need it short term. But walking around with that elevated blood pressure all the time is bad. Well, do you have a physical malady causing that high blood pressure where no matter what you eat, no matter how you control your emotion and diet, you're going to have high blood pressure and modern medicine literally saves your life? Or are you taking modern medicine so you can still choke down ho-hos and ding-dongs and and wrap, you know, bacon with butter? Wrap butter with bacon. That was on The Simpsons once. Um you, you, you know we have to look at the underlying conditions but even if we're correcting the underlying conditions and we're saying well I'm not going to eat that anymore I am going to exercise I'm going to get out of my chair I'm going to go do things I'm going to become involved I'm going to improve my health well these, these herbs can help the body clear the pathway for renewal and repair I mean this is probably the biggest lesson of any kind of medication I don't care if it's prescription over the counter herbal I don't care what it is No medication cures the patient. Again, patient, heal thyself. The patient heals himself. The herbs, the drugs, the medications are aids in the healing process. Even if you have bacterial infection, a bacteria that is easily treated with a common antibiotic, and it's not antibiotic-resistant at all, and when I give you that uh, antibiotic, it's very, very effective and proven effective for years and years and years. The antibiotic never kills all of the infection. What it does is it weakens and kills some of the infection and reduces the level to a point where the body's immune system can stand up and take over and kill off the rest of the infection and rebalance itself. So when we look at something that reduces blood pressure, we're looking at, Helping the body with the healing process. And again, garlic, lavender, lemon balm. When you see garlic, think about that. This is a blood pressure medication on some levels. Or lemon balm. Geez, once you get that stuff growing, you can't even stop it. And you think about lemon balm and go, well, that's not real common today. You know why it's not real common today? If you want lemon flavor in something, what do you do? You go to the store and you buy lemons. And you can get lemons in December and you can get lemons in July. You know, in June, complete opposites of the year. And you can get it in February, and you can get lemons in September. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but most of the United States, you can't grow citrus. At least not very very reliably and effectively. So, 150 years ago, if you wanted lemon flavor, you had to use like something that gave lemon flavor, but you couldn't get your hands on a lemon. And if you think about lemon, it's one of the great cooking uh, implements. Lemon chicken. Right, Something that brings a sour and that lemony, fruity aroma. Well, some people cooked with lemon balm all the time. They used it all the time. And they were helping to reduce blood pressure spikes when they did it. And see, again, I want you to understand that these herbal medicines are not all about a tincture or a poultice or a pill or something that's stored in a little kit. These are things that we have around us at all times that we can constantly be encouraging our body to be healthy. Next one, hepatic. H-E-P-A-T-I-C, hepatic. That means it it it, it tonifies and strengthens the liver. Again, tonifies and strengthens the liver. And, and I, I talked last week about, and tonic's actually one of our things today, whenever you hear tonic or tonification, it's about strengthening. Sometimes it's good to know why things are called a certain thing. You know, why do we call it a wheel, or why do we call it fire? But well, why do we call it hepatic? Why do we call it liver thing? Well, it, your liver uses probably more blood, and I say use, not pumps, but uses more blood than any other organ in your body. A gunshot wound to the liver is almost infinitely going to be fatal with a bleed out very, very quickly because it uses so much blood. And it does that because it is, again, removing the toxins from the body and purifying the blood. It's one of the biggest purposes of the liver that there is. So it has these huge arteries and veins in it, and the the veins are actually bringing blood through the liver... Uh, these are the hepatic veins. We usually think of the vein as something that takes the, the blood back to the heart. It's on its way back there, but it's coming from the, the pancreas and, and some other places and passing through the liver and continuing to bring that blood through the liver. And then we have the hepatic arteries, which are bringing the main blood supply into the liver. So it's because the main blood vessels in the liver are called the hepatic uh, veins and arteries that we call the action of strengthening the secretions and power of the liver hepatic. And, you know, why would we want to do that? What would be a good reason to tonify and strengthen the liver? Because of all the things I've already talked about with the liver. I mean, if you really think about it, in many ways, having a healthy uh, liver equals being a healthy person. If you think about it from the standpoint of filtration and removal of toxins, if you are in a building and outside of the building are poisons and toxins and you're in a building that's designed to keep you safe until those toxins and poisons go away, the better the filter system is at removing them before they get into the building, the longer you're going to be able to live in that safe house until those toxins are taken away. Well, the reality is, and this is where some health nuts go kind of crazy on us, There is no such thing as a toxin-free life. In fact, having devoid of toxins for too long can be detrimental because the body loses resistance capabilities and, and, and the body needs some levels of stress. There are toxins in the air we breathe, even if we got rid of all modern pollution. There are toxins in the food that we eat. There are toxins in bacterium and there are in everything. On the surface of every table, on the surface of every wall, there are toxins, there are germs, and we can't sit around and worry, well, there might be this and that or this and the other thing. There's certain things that we as human beings have developed tolerances for, and what that means, though, is there will be toxins in our body at all times. Even, even when we eat the healthiest foods we can get our hands on, as we digest them, some portion is left over as waste and needs to be excreted from the body, uh, you know, either solid or liquid waste from the body, and there's toxins there. And the kidneys are a part of that, but there's also the liver playing a function in any toxin that's in the body. When we drink alcoholic beverages to relax once in a while, nothing wrong with a beer or two here or there, as long as we don't go overboard, uh, that alcohol still is a toxin. It is our liver that keeps it from killing us. And we can, we can overload the liver, but the liver removes it over time. So that we can get the relaxation effect of a beer without the total detrimental. And there's so many toxins that come into our bodies and so many things that we're exposed to that a healthy liver will mitigate and eliminate that if we want to be healthy, we have to focus on having a healthy liver. Now, you'd say, well, if you don't have a healthy heart, you're not a healthy person. I agree. I completely agree. But the liver will, again, mitigate things that we're going to be exposed to that are detrimental to our health. And the stronger it is, the better of a job it can do at that. It's To me, it's really the linchpin of our health as a whole. And there's so many things that can begin to damage other systems that a healthy liver can prevent, and I'm big on prevention. So tonifying the liver, great idea. Now, if we want to do that, um, how do we do that? What do we do to make sure that our liver is good and strong? What are some really expensive, exotic herbs that we can use to tonify our liver? How about rosemary? How about turmeric? And how about that little weed that people just can't seem to get rid of in their backyard, chicory? Yep, rosemary, turmeric, and chicory are all tonics for the liver. Oh, by the way, I left it out on the list because I've used it so many times already, but dandelion is as well. So if we want to strengthen our bodies, we strengthen our liver. And we can do that by including common things that everybody used to use all the time in our diet. Now, does that mean if you have liver disease and I give you rosemary and turmeric in a capsule, I'm going to heal a liver that needs to be you know fixed with a transplant? No. No. But what it does mean is if I'm including those things on a daily basis in my diet, I'm constantly codifying and strengthening my liver. And instead of trying, see, this is the problem. Medicine waits till the problem exists and then we try to treat the acute symptom. Where if we include these things in our diet and know why we're including them in our diet, so we don't leave them out, and we look for ways to get them in, we are tonifying the liver literally from the first time we as children eat solid food until the day our mortality runs out and they bury us in the ground. Which way sounds like a better way to you? Next one, an immune stimulant. Nothing could be more preventative than stimulating the immune system prior to disease or infection. And that's what an immune stimulant does. This is an easy one to understand, but again, we have to ask ourselves, how many things out there would, you know, think about this. There was measles, mumps, rubella, black plague, all of these horrible diseases that people died of in the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, and what have you. Nothing like modern medicine. And we focus on the death, but it's smallpox, right? Things that if they came back today and we were we didn't have a vaccine for them, or if a new virulent form came out that the existing vaccines didn't work and they were unleashed on humanity, initially they would wipe us out. And we look back and we say, oh, wipe them out. didn't wipe them out. I'm not saying we should go back to people dropping over all the time for measles and mumps and rubella. What I am saying is a large portion of those people survived. Why? To me, at least on some level, especially the healthy ones, the ones that were financially better off and were well-fed, well well-nutritioned, uh, with good nutrition in their bodies, they were getting a lot of things into their system that were encouraging their immunoresponse. So what can we take to encourage that? No surprise here with the first two, echinacea and ginseng. And I could have put golden seal in there, uh, but echinacea is something we can grow in our backyards. Ginseng, we can sort of. Ginseng takes a long time to grow. It's a it's a more rare herb. Uh, it's a very expensive herb. And 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 ginseng, uh, the Siberian variety works for this too. But good old American ginseng is considered the best and most potent immune stimulator out of the ginseng family. But here's one you can grow in a lot of the United States as long as you get really hot summers it'll even handle some cold uh, winters and some freezing pomegranate do so you know pomegranate was an immune stimulator you know those big red kind of apple looking things with the weird blossom thing on the end of them that you see at the store you're not even sure what they are pomegranates you cut them open there's all these little little berry ball looking things in there with this red juice that stains your fingers and tastes really good people make martinis out of them now pomegranate martinis Immune stimulant, good for the immune system. And a lot of other herbs are as well. But again, if we can start including things like this in our daily diets, if we can make them the things that we're exposed to constantly, then we can strengthen our systems. And if we're stimulating the immune system at the same time that we're stimulating things like the the liver, which, which detoxify our bodies, and stimulating our digestive system so that we're absorbing more, How many chronic health problems can we avoid even if we occasionally eat something we shouldn't or drink something we shouldn't? As long as we're not chronic in that behavior, how much better equipped are we to deal with the air pollution that's naturally out there? Doesn't mean we can go work in a coal mine and not get black lung. But if we take reasonable steps to be as healthy as we can with some indulgences in our lives, the more of this type of thing that we're bringing in, the more healthy we are, the more healthy we stay. And in a situation where people are very, very sick and modern medicine is in decline, we can do worse than making sure that we're using what's available with echinacea, ginseng, pomegranate, golden seal, and these other herbs. Again, you always have to check for interactions. Some things like golden seal, you don't want to use for long durations and periods of time. Always check with a professional if there's any doubt, and take extra care if you are a pregnant woman, immunocompromised, have any underlying conditions, but it doesn't mean that we can't learn our limits and be able to use these things. The next one today that I have for you is refrigerant. Well, that doesn't sound real hard to figure out. That's what my refrigerator does, keeps things cool, but it's actually an action, a therapeutic action of herbs, and cooling agents will lower the body temperature and thereby relieve thirst. Well, why would we want to do this? Well, we may want to do this because we've worked really hard all day long. Our blood pressure's up, we're overheated a little bit, and we're going to drink something, and we're going to have some water, but we just want to accelerate that process. Well, we can can do certain things to do that. We might want to do that because we're dealing with a fever, and we're dealing with an excessive fever. Remember, every bodily response has a purpose. There's a reason you get a fever. Your body attempts to raise its temperature to a point that you can handle, but the bacteria or virus or illness, whatever's causing you discomfort, cannot. It's actually an immunoresponse. So we don't want to completely suppress all fevers. Sometimes there's a place for a fever. But with an excessive fever, maybe we can use a refrigerant to reduce that. Maybe we can use it just for a better overall feeling of well-being. Maybe it's that we are not going to be able to get water for a little while. We're going to have to deal without it, and we can reduce the thirst craving until we can get water. Never stay thirsty if you don't have to, but if you have to, and you have access to something that is a refrigerant, it may help with that. What are we talking about with refrigerants? Cooling mint. Ever heard that? Cooling mint. Peppermint, spearmint, all the mints are cooling refrigerants. Tarragon is a refrigerant. Did you know that? Tarragon, the the cooking herb, is a refrigerant. And plantain, one of the most useful medicinal herbs out there, plantain, is also a refrigerant, which means if we combine it with something like willow bark and feverfew, it could be good for mild aches and pains and and, and things that go along with, with that. When you have a fever, feverfew, fever, got it, right? Uh, so there's so many things that we can use. But think about this. Peppermint's something we can use often with teas and with candy and, and for calming the stomach and other things like that. Tarragon's a great cooking herb. No reason we should be cooking with it all the time. Plantin, I talked about its wound healing properties, but it's a nutritious plant. It can be part of our salads. Next one, sedative. This is another one everybody will go, I understand what that is, obviously. It's a sedative. It calms you down. But it doesn't just relax you. To sedate means it literally calms the nervous system and it does that through the reduction of stress and nervous irritation throughout the body. It's not just about making you sleepy and go to sleep, which an extreme sedative can do, but a mild sedative, what we're actually doing is the leading cause of death in America is actually stress. It's stress on the body that creates heart disease, It that creates High blood pressure that, that, that leads to the formation and the failure of the body to stop certain types of cancers. It is stress that is the big killer, and the sedative actually relieves the stress at the neural level. What can we do that with? Some real common stuff, folks. Chamomile, lavender, and hops are great sedatives, but they're not the sedative that you know you see on 24, where the guy gives a guy a needle in the neck and he passes out for four hours. And we have to start thinking about how some of the interactions, or the actions interplay. I've said that, you know, one of the things that can help you with depression is lavender. Now I'm here telling you that lavender is a sedative. Well, if you're depressed, you'd think you would want to maybe stimulate yourself a little bit. But what if your depression is due to stress? Well, if I can remove the stress, or mitigate the stress then many times some of the depressive symptoms will abate. Now, maybe there's other underlying issues I have to deal with, but start to understand that one action actually explains why that herb has another action. Because unlike the medical profession, unlike the scientific profession that is obsessed with every nutrient and chemical and reaction and test this and isolate that, many of the herbalists are simply content with, hey, I use it because it works. I use it because it doesn't have any negative side effect whatsoever. No one dies from this. No one passes out and dies from this. And it works. When I give a person uh, that has a sick stomach peppermint, they feel better. So I don't have to understand the exact uh, neurochemical response. Now research, by open-minded researchers, is being done. That's going into finding out why this stuff actually works. But what we're learning is the more we isolate that active component away from all the other parts of that whole herb, we might increase the individual effect, but we reduce the overall therapeutic effect, and we reduce the the ability for that herb to do double duty, for that sedative to also be an antidepressant. There's wisdom in the whole plant. We evolved around consuming and using these things, and and you know, 150 years of modern science can't change 10,000 years of individual adaptation and evolution in the human species. So with sedative, let's switch over to the next one, which is the exact opposite, stimulant. But when we think of stimulant, we usually think of something that gets a person up and and jittery, and, and, and some of the things will do that, but it's not the only purpose of a stimulant. A stimulant actually will warm the body, quicken circulation, and break up obstructions and congestions. So we can have things that are impeding blood flow and the stimulant can push through that and help the body deal with that obstruction. Or if we're congested in the chest, some stimulants will act as a expectorant and get that out of the chest or out of the nasal cavity or what have you. But it'll also warm the body. And by improving circulation, if we have a person who has circulation issues and their feet are always cold, for instance. Well, improving the circulation can help with that. So what is a stimulant that we can use to do that? How about black pepper? How much more pepper did people use in the past than today? Think about this with with anything that's a spice, a hot, spicy thing, like peppers and black pepper and and any kind of heat type of, of herb. You ever notice that the closer you get to the equator, the more of that is used? The hottest cuisines in the world are from more like Thailand, right, and all these places that are on the equator. Well, why? Well, in the past, folks, we didn't have refrigerators and refrigerator trucks and deep freezers and things like that, and anything that was a meat, um, on some level, would kind of have to sit around without refrigeration, including seafood and fish, for some length of time. And that might lead to some off-tastes and flavors and odors, and the more pepper and pepper spices and hot things that you add to a a dish, the more you cover that up. And in some ways, some of these these very spicy herbs actually impede bacterial formation. And people figured out, well, if I marinate this piece of meat and this really hot pepper, then it can make it a day without refrigeration. So everybody did this to some extent, but the warmer the climate, the more important it was. So the more natural stimulants were part of the natural diet before all of this modern technology took over. Very, very, and you learn this in history. They just don't—they don't take it to the next level and explain to you how it affected people. Oh, you know, they had that today, and today we have a freezer. We're better off. But what was the pharmacological effect of the body? From people that were eating these things all the time as part of their diet, as long as they were overall healthy, warm, and well nourished, and the meat was sitting sitting out there so long that it had you know you know maggots crawling in it or something like that, or something that was actually making people sick. We we have forgotten the effects of that. A, a stimulant that's real obvious to most Americans is coffee. Put that in there because it's so common. Coffee is a stimulant. But what about garlic? Garlic's another stimulant. So again. Now let's think about Asian cuisine, especially Equatorial Asia. As we get closer in those hotter environments, chili garlic. How about this chili garlic and ginger? That's that's classic Thai cuisine. It makes me hungry to even think about chili garlic and ginger and cooking that with some kind of a, like a beef and and some Szechuan pepper and oh my god, I, I want to quit talking to you right now. And even though it's still breakfast time, I want to go cook that. But this is the type of thing that was far more of our daily consumption in the past. These spices. They stimulated and warmed the body. They improved circulation. Broke up our obstructions and our congestion. And there's a place for that. But they were mild in comparison to a drug that does it. And their effect was, it was consumed, it was processed, and the effect was cyclical. Where now when we put people on a therapeutic drug, we want that effect to be long duration. So we learn a lot when we start to dig these things apart, do we not? The last one today is tonic. And I went ahead and got that one out of the way because it comes back and it's part of so many other actions. But generally a tonic, anything that's a tonic, will increase the tone and vitality of skin and other organs and body systems. Improves nutrient absorption. So if you think about, again, tonifying the liver is one thing, but tonifying anything in the body, we're, we're we're strengthening the body with a tonic herb. We're improving the vitality of of, of an organ, and and the skin, as a whole. Everything that we absor- the skin is absorbs so much that we need, and it keeps out so many things that we don't want in. You remove skin from a part of the body, and you're immediately open to all types of infections. I saw when we get a cut, one of the things we're concerned with is an infection. That layer of skin is not there to protect those inner areas that aren't as well defended anymore. So if we can increase the effectiveness of the skin even when it's not cut, our overall health improves. If we can, in the nutrient absorption, when people talk about taking a daily tonic of herbs or supplements that are designed, that's the big one. So that when I go out and I take the time to grow that beautiful switch chard and New Zealand spinach myself, and I go and I eat it, and it's pulled the trace minerals and elements up out of the ground, that now my body is more capable of absorbing and utilizing them. Because it's not what goes in that matters when it comes to health. It's what goes in and gets used. You, this is why if you take poor quality supplements, vitamins, and you swallow it and the pill comes out half undigested, you could be taking massive amounts of these vitamins, but your body doesn't get to use them. But it's more than just them becoming a dissolved state and absorbed by the body. It's The body has countless processes, countless things that it does with the things that come in your body to 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 utilize some and to expel others. And unless your body's working optimally, it's not capable of absorbing and fully utilizing these nutrients. That's why some people just look, they're not really sick. You take them to the doctor and the doctor goes, eh, they're a little bit weak kidney function and all, but it's within the limits and uh, their heart's okay and, uh, you know, they're, they're fine. But anybody looking at them goes, they just don't look right. look kind of sickly. Well, that's because their body's not strong. It's not using all of the things, and even if they're getting the right stuff in their diet, if they're not getting uh, the support for it so that it can be utilized, we have issues there. Very common as we age. One of the first things we stop uh, being able to absorb into our body is B12. B12 deficiency causes depression and so many other things. It's called pernicious anemia when you're B12 deficient. Well, I'm not saying that any of the herbs I'm going to give you today are going to fix that. But if your body is stronger and, and tonified and more able to process and take up nutrients, it stands to reason B12 just might be one of them. Now, where do we get B12? We get it from meat. Red meat is the primary source of B12. This is why, not, and there's other sources as well, but this is why not so much vegetarians, but vegans often run the risk of being B12 deficient if they're not taking it supplementally. And even over time, supplementally, taking a pill goes into the stomach, the body loses the ability to absorb it well. And that's what they call the B12 uh, shot, a happy shot. You get a person, they seem completely clinically depressed. But some wise doctor goes, what's your diet like? And goes, "Ah, this won't hurt nothing, let's try it. Gives you a B12 shot. And the guy's himself again, until it wears off. And then they either figure out how to correct the diet so you can start absorbing it again, or you're going back for your happy shot all the time. One way or another. But I prefer to correct the imbalance. But that's what any tonic does. Is it increases the tone and the vitality of the skin and the other organs. And it helps you to improve that absorption so you can utilize the nutrients that you are getting. And the less you're getting, the more important it is to be able to utilize and absorb that which is available. If you're getting a ton of a nutrient, and your body's able to absorb 10% of it, you're probably getting enough, as long as you're not getting an excess. If you're getting very little of a nutrient, and your body is able to utilize 10% of it, maybe you're not getting enough. And and maybe just adding more is not possible, or not practical. So the only thing we can do is improve the utilization. You know, it's like hybrid technology and electric cars can only take us so far right now. So the best short-term solution is to improving the efficiency of the gas motor. If we can get more miles out of it, we have to put less gas into it. Same with the body. If we can't get more nutrients in or it's not practical to put more nutrient in, if we can improve the utilization factor, we get a better effect from the nutrient that is available. And we can be in a state where our utilization is so low... So low that it doesn't matter if we're getting the adequate nutrient. If we're not, you just like B12. Eat all the red meat you want, take all the B12 pills you want. If your body is not absorbing it and utilizing it, we either have to correct the imbalance or you go get a shot of it right into uh, the body, right into the, so that it goes right into the bloodstream in a usable uh, fashion. So what can we do to tonify the body? Well, there's tons of herbs. Uh, that, that will do that. But I'm going to give you two that you've already heard today and two new ones uh, because I, I want all four of these to be in your mind as is, is, is good tonifying herbs. Uh, those are dandelion. Again, dandelion being a wonder plant. I said top two all-around herbs is dandelion. Goji berry, also known as wolfberry. Very easy to grow. Very, very popular uh, over in Asia, uh very underutilized by american gardeners and a cold hardy plant folks you can buy seeds from sand mountain Herbs, start your own and grow these goji berry vines all over the place very hardy takes a good year to get established once they're established man they're they're great uh so goji berry you can also buy them uh if you don't like them uh in a raw state they're pretty good uh with uh with carob on them you can buy them kind of it's like a chocolate uh a natural uh, alternative to to typical chocolate carob um one thing with goji bears I have one listener get very angry with me don't go eat like a pound of them out of hand they taste pretty good but if you do that they also have a laxative effect I'll leave it at that uh the next one is anise anise is a very tonifying herb very good at strengthening the body and its ability to absorb last one shouldn't surprise you garlic so now think about things like like just some stuff that that does a lot of double duty that we could make part of our daily diet plantin tarragon peppermint Chamomile, black pepper, cayenne pepper type things, garlic, dandelion, anise, um, basil, lavender, calendula, rose and rose hips. Those are all things that we could have in our diets on a daily basis, most of which we can grow for ourselves, use as whole herbs, and are very, very safe. Rosemary, uh, turmeric, uh, chicory, lemon balm, the mints. All these things that can be just part of what we're doing every day. And we're we're giving ourselves all of this prevention and all of this system balancing. Now we can go to more aggressive herbs, more specific tinctures, uh, extraction processes and things like that if we need to treat acute conditions. But again, the Herbal Action Series, this is all about helping you think beyond that. Think about prevention and maintenance and health so that Right now you could be doing everything you can to strengthen yourself and your body and your health so that if we ever have a really bad situation, you're better prepared going into it. If we get into one, you can maintain your health through it. People always say, well what do I do if I get sick when the shit has hit the fan? Well, there's things you can do. And again, we'll go deeper into herbs over time. And I've done some past shows that go deeper and you can educate yourself further. But my, my statement is always, well, first thing we should do is try to prevent the illness in the first place. Sanitation, nutrition, and supplementation are big ways that we do that. And, and doing things like being smart and having good quality clothing so we don't, we can, you know, you don't catch a cold because you get cold. But when you get too cold, you start to reduce your, your immune system and you're more susceptible. Right? If you're constantly wet and things like that, other things like that can lead to dangerous situations. So prevention and maintenance are so key. Plus, as I finish up today, what is the show credo? Helping you live that better life if times get tough, then the other side, or even if they don't. Making these things part of your life, and not just doing it, but understanding the why and the how and the effects behind it improve your quality of life vastly today so that we spend less at the doctor, less money and time, and we do less damage to our body. I believe... The single biggest cause of misery in the elderly today is the overuse of prescription medications. I'm not saying to throw them all away. I'm not saying that there's not immense leaps that have been made that have saved lives and improved the quality of life. The problem is once the the drug manufacturer makes this pill that can help 10,000 people or 100,000 people, now they have an investment of $9 billion in it and they try to sell it to 10 million or 20 million or 50 million people. So it's not that the drug itself is inherently evil. It's just like money or a gun. It's the use thereof and there are so many of these medications prescribed to people who don't really need them that are put on them for maintenance for the rest of their life, and then that drug causes a side effect, and we add another drug to counter that side effect, and another drug to counter the second drug side effect, and we end up with the elderly on 12 different pills, and if we took them away, that person would get very sick and possibly die immediately But it all started 20 years ago when somebody put them on a medication they didn't really need because a very good drug rep did a good job of convincing a doctor to write more prescriptions for a particular drug. Now we can bitch and whine and piss and moan about that all we want or you can do something that I really hope you get from my show in a variety of ways but with the herbal stuff and the healthcare stuff, I really hope you get this today. You can look in the gone mirror and say, that's my face, these are my ten fingers, my ten toes, my body, my lungs, my air I breathe, my water I intake. This is what gets me around. This is when I get up off my butt and I walk across the floor. It is my legs that carry me there. It is my heart that pumps the blood through there. When I occasionally indulge in something I shouldn't, it is my liver tasked with removing that toxin. And since it's mine, by God, I will take responsibility for it. And that means reading your owner's manual. And your owner's manual is broke up into countless editions. It's not in one place. And it requires extra thought and extra effort. But since the alternative is being old, wrinkled, and yellowed in a wheelchair dependent on a massive amount of pharmacological drugs that you may not should be on. And again, some people need them. But there's so many people on them that don't need to be there that it's time to stand up and say, I'll take responsibility. And and as parents, to look at our children and go, that is my child. I brought them into this world. I am not going to let them be medicated excessively by a teacher who doesn't like it that they don't like to sit still in their freaking chair. She gets paid a salary, she'll deal with it. Now if there's a chronic behavior problem, I'll step in and I will make my child understand there are certain forms of behavior that are necessary but we're not going to medicate it into them. We can either let the system be the enemy and fight the system, or we can let ourselves be the answer and empower the answer. And if we empower the answer long enough, just like politics, we will change the system. You can wait for the system to change. You can wave a sign. You can get angry. You can fight, Really hard, like a fly fighting the window, which is what many people in politics and any kind of scenario do. They're just like that fly. He's in front of the window, and he doesn't understand the window. You come back four hours later. He fights, and he fights, and he fights. And sooner or later, you find him with his feet up, dead, on the windowsill. No matter how hard he fights, that window's not going to yield. Now, if he would focus on living his life, maybe sooner or later somebody would open that window. Maybe if he bugs the person long enough, they'll open the damn window if they can't swat him. And that's how we change systems. We bug the people that are controlling the systems, but in the meantime, we go on living and we take responsibility from ourselves. We can't be stupid like the fly and just keep ramming our head into the wall and then blaming the wall. That's why I do this show as a whole, and that's why I've been doing this show on Herbal Actions so that we can understand how much power we really have, how much power exists in our herb garden, so that we can understand when the, when the system tells us that that backyard garden, that herb spiral, and that willingness to educate yourself and think critically, critically doesn't really matter, that we would just be better off throwing money in our 401k and pursuing an advanced degree and spending the rest of our lives in a cubicle and taking the damn medication the doctor tells us to We can understand the malicious lie that that really is. And until such time as the system changes, we can focus on changing ourselves. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life If times get tough, or even if they don't. A better way